Hi everyone, I'm Maxine Ryan with Prosper Podcast and today's guest is Zaid Admani from Admani Explains. Admani Explains is the number one place people go to for their business news in less than 60 seconds. So I'm really excited to have this guest on with us. Zaid, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Maxine. I'm super excited for today's conversation. Yeah, me too. Um, so for those who don't know, why don't you give a little bit of an intro to yourself? Totally. So I kind of got started off my journey making content on TikTok back in the fall of 2019, kind of before TikTok was like super mainstream. Um, like back then, 50% of the videos on TikTok was like dancing. Um, it's obviously evolved significantly since then, but I kind of got my start there. And Maxine, I have no idea how to dance. I am not a good dancer. So I knew that I couldn't, I couldn't be dancing on TikTok if I wanted to stand out. You know, there's a lot better dancers out there than me. So I decided to make content about topics that I was super passionate about, you know, finance, business, technology, um, business history, all these different things that, I, that, I, that I'm very passionate about that I have a decent amount of knowledge about. So, and I also wanted to capture the vibe that was on TikTok. And there's a certain vibe that's on TikTok and it's, and it's constantly changing. And, uh, and so I decided to make, you know, I think my very first viral video that I had was uh, a skit that I did uh, kind of talking about the uh, deal between Facebook where Facebook wanted to buy Snapchat and Snapchat turned them down. And then Facebook basically copied uh, the stories feature and put it on Instagram. And I, you know, I just put that together and posted it before going to bed, woke up the next day with a hundred thousand views on that video. And I had like zero followers. So since then I've been hooked on TikTok. I've been making content on it almost, you know, basically every week, almost daily if I can. And uh, yeah, that's what I've been doing over the last year and a half now. That's incredible. I really love stories like that, where somebody just had an impulse to do something. And then all of a sudden they're just like, I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to do all this type of stuff. And you know, <laughs> it, works out, it works out quite well. And I think that there's just been this huge need for um, financial education out there. That's kind of explained in a fun and engaging way. Um, and yeah, for any of those who are like listening or watching this, like, please check out Zaid's channels. Um, they're incredible and they're, they're so much fun as well, which is awesome. Um, but Zaid, like you, I think a large part of your content is looking through a lot of business news. Um, and there's just so much noise that it can kind of seem a little bit daunting for the new investor. Um, what advice do you have for new investors that are researching what to invest in? Like how should they navigate that space? That's a very difficult question because there is so much out there the way I try to start off with is, is honestly look at the traditional media stuff, see what they're first reporting on, right? Like what is the Wall Street Journal? What is Bloomberg? What are they talking about? Um, and from there, you'll see the stories and the, and, the, and the news that are getting shared the most, especially on Twitter. Uh, I use Twitter a lot for stories that I want to cover. And so basically for me, I would recommend, honestly, look at what the traditional media are reporting. And then from there, find out stories that might get the most shares or that might get the most engagement and then that are just interesting to yourself, right? Like if there's a story about an industry that you're not interested in, then maybe it's not necessarily the best place to start your research on a particular investment. Um, so I, I tend to gravitate towards stories that are interesting about industries that I like. Um, and then um, I use, like I said, I use Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg, these traditional media outlets, and then I go to Twitter to see what the conversation is around those stories, what's going on. Um, a perfect example of that would be a few weeks back, the Ar Archigos Capital blow up that was happening where just this dude, you know, 
yoloed his entire seven billion dollar fortune into some into some Viacom stocks, and and this story got a lot of play. But the majority of the news was broken by Wall Street Journal, New York Times. Um, and in the beginning, it's kind of confusing to kind of read through all those articles because it is very dry the way they're written. But I think over time, if you start reading them, start, uh, you know, just start consuming that information, a lot of the stuff will start making sense. It'll start becoming less, less dry. And I think if you are interested in that topic, it, you'll naturally start gravitating towards it. You'll naturally start like wanting to dive into it more. So uh, that's kind of what I recommend if you want to start off just investing. Yeah, that's that's really great advice. And I think the main thing with that is that um, like a lot of people who are new to investing don't realize that investors that are in certain companies, they have an entire history of understanding from following a company from a certain point to like where they are now. Um, and that really kind of helps the person navigate what's going on. So I guess like what you're saying is just consistency and that consistency can be built as long as that person is really interested in that topic. So yeah, that's, that's great advice. Um, so, you know, we're seeing now more and more like retail investors are causing like these huge commotions in the markets. We see like Doge and GameStop and more, which I love to see. It's like, I feel like it's right. the rise of like, yeah, the rise of the retail investor. Um, what do you think is driving this retail investing? Because I feel like it just came out of nowhere where there was just like cohorts of communities being like, yeah, like we're going to just like, you know, um, short this stock or something like that? Like, how did you, how do you, what do you think is driving this? I really think it comes down to a couple factors. So number one, um, over the last 12 to 15 months, people were stuck at home, right? Because of the pandemic, we, people were being, were stuck at home. And because of uh, stimuluses that were handed, by, handed out by the government, a lot of people, especially young people, had access to capital that maybe they previously didn't have. So you mix that with access to apps like Robinhood, Public, all these apps that allow people to trade for no commission, that allowed just a new crop of retail investors, people that never really were interested in investing to take a serious look at it. Because if you're stuck at home, what are you going to do besides just like, you know, watch Netflix for the entire day? You, the, the market became an outlet for, for entertainment, essentially. And I also think it's also driven by a sense of community, right? Because of the pandemic, our communities were like dis- disrupted. Like we couldn't, we couldn't hang out with our same friends. We couldn't, we couldn't do a lot of things that we typically do. Maybe go play basketball with our, with our friends or whatever that we were accustomed to doing. By finding a community, whether it was on Reddit, TikTok, or whatever, that was all lined up about the same thing. You know, in this case, the stock market and back in January, it was, it was GameStop. Now it's Dogecoin. It, it, it kind of plays to like people wanting to be part of a community. And, and this becomes a really, you know, having access to capital and having access to be, the ability to trade kind of amplifies all of that. So you have a community on Reddit that's talking about all these different stocks. People want to be part of that community and they can because now they have the money and the access with these apps to do it. And, the, and then the, the added, then the ability to make money is just an added bonus on top of it. But I mean, there's people that are just, I mean, you've seen it too, probably like screenshots of sharing all the losses that they made. They're celebrating that too. Again, I think it all comes down to community. People want to be a part of something, which is why GameStop was so interesting. Uh, it was just going, it was just, the levels were just going crazy. Uh, Dogecoin right now is the fourth largest cryptocurrency in the world, even though it started off as a joke. It's just a sense of community that people really, that's what I believe. That's my, that's my hypothesis. Yeah, I think those are great points because um, 
I don't think people understood just how much investing is tied to emotion. And emotion is generally created when you have a sense of purpose, right? So when you have, you know, people going online, feeling like they have a sense of purpose and this like camaraderie and investment, it does create scenarios like this. Um, what would be like your opinion on people who are kind of looking online and wanting to be involved um, and like wanting to invest? Would you say that's like to be like cautious of this type of stuff? I really think it depends on like, a hundred percent, you should be cautious, but I'm not one of those like typical people that would say, oh, well, don't ever do that. Or don't ever put your money in Dogecoin. Don't ever put, you know, if you want to throw some money at some stocks, it all comes down to risk management. Now that, I think that's very, very important. And if we can start teaching that, I think that is going to do, is going to do a lot for the community of, of new investors. You know, if you, if you're just starting off with a thousand bucks, you know, maybe you set up a thousand bucks by working some jobs or whatever, you have a thousand bucks. If you want to put all that money into a random meme coin, then I then I would then I would question your your your, your tactics there. Don't do um, that, guys. <laughs> right. <laughs> I do not recommend there, don't do that. that. <laughs> right. Um, but but you know, I, I kind of also think of it like this, you know, a lot of these people, a lot of these traders are are young, they're 18, probably 18 to 20, 21. And the way I think of it is like hopefully they're not going to do that much financial damage to themselves. I am troubled by a little bit that Robinhood allows people to trade on margin, which is, which is terrifying. I think people that young probably should be very careful of trading on margin. But if you're just starting off with your own money and you end up losing 50% of it or 75% of it, that's not good. I don't, I don't, I wouldn't, I don't wish that on anybody, but the lessons you're going to learn there from just making those mistakes are invaluable. And if you can make those mistakes at the age of 18 or 20 or 21, you can recover. You have so much time to recover. And I speak from personal experience. I started investing at the age of 18 and I had no idea what I was doing. I just, I downloaded an app and I threw some money in there that I had saved up and I lost 50% of it by trying to trade penny stocks because I didn't know what I was doing. I had no education in, uh, in that space, but the mistakes I made at 18 taught me a valuable lesson that has paid off tenfold over the last 10 years of my life because I knew that not to make those mistakes at a young age. It just hurts to make those mistakes when you're 29, 31, because then it's harder to recover because you might be putting even more money into the market um, and it can be harder to recover. But at the age of 18 to 20, I think you have time to make mistakes. Again, I do recommend proper risk management, but you can learn those things at a young age. And if you can kind of figure those things out, it'll set you up in a really good spot for the rest of your life. Yeah, so true. It's kind of like... Um you have just so much more time when you're younger to make those mistakes and you have less responsibility on yourself. Like you might be living your parents and stuff like right. that. And now the entry level to make your first investments are quite low. So you can just like, you know, hypothetically start with like 50 or a hundred dollars and like play around with that and see where it goes. Um, but yeah, th those are great points, but um, it seems like retail investors have been most profitable in like short squeeze scenarios or like that's the one that gets told the most. Um, we see like, things like GameStop. Can you explain what a short squeeze is? Yeah. So essentially a short squeeze uh, in the GameStop example, for example, uh, a short squeeze in that case, what happened was there was hedge funds, big money hedge funds that were betting against the success of GameStop. They were, they were thinking that the stock, was, stock price for GameStop was going to go lower. And the way you make money off of that is by shorting it. And when you short a stock, what happens is if I wanted to say short a stock, I would borrow that stock and then I would sell that stock at the current market rate. So for example, if I wanted to short company XYZ, I'm making this up. 
and the stock was trading at $100, if I borrowed 10 shares of that stock and sold it at current market price for $100 each, I would have $1,000. The way I would make money is if the stock price goes down, I can buy the shares back at a cheaper price, return the shares that I had borrowed, and then the difference I would profit. So if the stock goes down from 100 to 80, I buy the 10 shares that I had borrowed, I buy those back for 800 bucks, I return the, 100, the 10 shares that I had borrowed, and the difference I keep. Now, a short squeeze is what happens when the stock price doesn't go down and it goes up. So if the stock price that you shorted at $100, if it starts rising to 120, 150, your losses are starting to amount because if you were to buy the stock back, you'd have to buy it back for more expensive than you had originally sold it for. At some point, the losses get so high that the person who had originally borrowed the stock and shorted the company can't, can't, can't tolerate the losses any longer. So they have to sell and when they, when, or whether they have to buy the stock back. So when they're trying to buy the stock back, that increases the demand on the stock, which causes the price to go even higher. And that's what's called a short squeeze. Cause there's these people that are short of the stock and they want to get out of their position because they're already underwater. They don't want to lose any more money. So they have to buy the price back. They have to buy the stock back at whatever the price is. And again, that increases the demand of the stock, which increases the price, which is called a squeeze. And that causes the stock price to go even higher, which causes the, the short seller to lose even more money. And that's exactly what happened at GameStop, where there was a couple of hedge funds which shorted GameStop. These retail investors found out, started to basically pump the stock higher, which caused, which put a massive squeeze on these hedge funds and caused them to lose billions of dollars because of the fact that they shorted GameStop. I kind of yeah. rambled there a little bit. Hope that makes sense. No, that that's a really great explanation. And I think that it's just amazing how like just people on the internet coming together can kind of defeat these like massive hedge funds that you typically see as kind of like, you know, almost untouchable, right? Like they just totally. have a zone about them. So I love that. Like, what are some of like the best moments do you think in, you know, trading news and stuff like that, that you've seen that you just kind of see it's like this collectiveness of like um, community investing, I guess. Is good news or bad news? Because there's been good stuff and bad stuff that's happened. Let's go into both. Because I think it's important for people to understand. It's like, it's not all good. Like GameStop right. was like an incredible um, event, but at the same time, like it could have gone the other way as well. Um, but like, what yep. are some like just amazing moments, I think, in social investing that you've seen? To me, there's there's a couple moments that come to mind. Last summer, summer of 2020, there was a couple companies that... Uh, that got a lot of play, a lot of hype on Reddit and other platforms. So uh, Hertz, which is a car rental company, had declared bankruptcy and their stock had dropped below a dollar. And for some reason, the stock price started 5Xing overnight because there was traders on Reddit um, that were just pumping it up because they, because that's, you know, they were just hyped about the stock and they started to buy the stock up, which caused the stock price to go higher, even though the company had essentially declared bankruptcy. That to me is a negative negative uh, uh, effect of social investing because the company essentially has zero value and it was, it was, it was, it was the stock price was going higher. It didn't make any sense. It also happened to Kodak, which is a, a camera company, which also was, I'm not sure if they had declared bankruptcy, but they had essentially, their stock was going up even though there was no reason it should have. Another example of social investing that probably went bad. Good, good examples. Obviously, GameStop was probably the, the best example. There's traders that made you know, a lot of money um, you know, hopping onto the ride, buying stock at 40 bucks and seeing it go all the way up to 300. And I think the latest one has to be Dogecoin where, you know, this, this, this coin was trading at less than a penny 
just a few weeks ago. And now it's at 40 something cents, which is just insane. It's the fourth largest cryptocurrency in the world. So that's another example of that. But again, I, I, I always like to be make people cautious of the kind of, there's a good side to all this stuff and a bad side. In GameStop, a lot of people made money. But unfortunately, a lot of people kind of were on the bad end of a trade too, because if you got in at GameStop at 300 instead of 30 bucks, then you're, still, you're sitting at a loss right now. Um, and so there is a negative side to all this stuff. There's a lot of positives, and I'm really, really hyped about the positive. I want to focus on the positives too. But it's important that we also kind of bring in the negative sides of social investing. If like, you know, people that get in late into the game and people that get in late into the game can lose a decent amount of money, a serious amount of money if they're not careful with what they're doing. Um, but again, there's, there's so much positives as well. Yeah, absolutely. Like I, I think that, um, you know, a part of investing is that, you know, at some point somebody does lose. And I think for those who are like hearing the news and they get really hyped up about something and like, Oh, like this is going to make me rich. Like, I feel like that approach is always going to lead kind of more to the bad side of it. But I think that, um, you know, over time that is still a learning experience and it does kind of contribute to like, you know, the larger idea of that person's education when they're investing. Um, but yeah, those are, those are great examples. So like, what, what are you personally like really excited about right now? What do you have in your investment portfolio? Like you're looking at the news every single day. Like, I'm pretty sure that you have some of your favorites. What are they? Well, I mean, as of right now, I'm, I'm still very, very bullish on all the big tech companies, Apple, Microsoft, Facebook, Google, Amazon. I'm still very bullish on all those companies. Um, there's a couple up and coming um, stocks that, you know, Disney is another company that I'm very, very bullish on. But as of right now, like the market's kind of turned a little bit sour to some of these growth stocks that we've seen just go, you know, that had massive growth over the last 15 months, like Peloton, Zoom, all these companies are starting to see um, a pullback in their stock price. Uh, and I wonder if that's, if that's just because the valuations got a little too rich and we're starting to see it come back to earth. Um, so I'm still kind of reevaluating where I, what I feel about some of those companies, um, especially companies like Peloton, which I was very, very excited about, but they're, 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 you know, their stock is definitely starting to pull back. But obviously right now, like the, the biggest, most hype thing right now is just crypto in general. Something that I was very, very interested in. And, you know, it's always good to diversify your portfolio. Stocks are very, very, stocks are great. And, and, I, and I recommend people, you know, probably put the majority of their investments in stocks. But crypto is another space right now that I've been interested in since 2017. Um, I actually bought my first Bitcoin back in 2013 when Coinbase first launched. And, and then I ended up selling it. Obviously, I wish I hung on to all of it. Uh, but, but that's, you know, we could play that game for, for everything. But yeah, no, crypto is the other thing I'm really, really looking into right now. Obviously, Ethereum has been on a, a crazy, crazy uh, rally recently. Um, and I'm very, very excited about Ethereum. And then I'm trying to educate myself on what's going on with some of these altcoins. There's so much There's so much noise in crypto. I mean, there's a lot of noise in stocks, but there's even more noise in crypto. Uh, unfortunately, there's so many pump and dump schemes. There's so many um, just so many meme coins out there that have no value or utility, but they're still getting so much... Um, so much hype on social media. So I, I want to navigate those spaces, figure out what, what's real, what's not, what's something to get excited about. How should I allocate my, my portfolio? Cause I want to, I definitely want to diversify and get more, um, get more exposure to some of these altcoins, but I'm still educating myself and not just blindly throwing some money in there and just hoping it, you know, hoping I get rich. Yeah. It, it's interesting. Cause I, 
I think that in the crypto space, like, cause I started my career there uh, in right. like 2014. And um, I think the biggest thing that I've seen is that just the amount of vaporware that is out, right? So there's these huge promises and because there's like a lot of, um, you know, I guess almost like free money coming into the market, um, a lot of people are kind of just selling on the premise of like an idea and a narrative rather than like a fundamental. So right. I always kind of like wait for this whole like bull run to kind of like, I guess, deplete itself. And then I go, okay, which are the projects that are actually surviving? And I go from there and they're usually at a much cheaper price than like what they are now. Like a lot of these like highs that we're seeing of the altcoins. Um, they're going to probably like, you know, either go to some sort of like consistent level or like go all right. the way down and dip. And I usually kind of like, yeah, you know, buy the dip, <laughs> but you know, I, you said that like you kind of focus on, um, tech and big tech companies. Do you feel as though like you should be looking at more like emerging technologies? Because I feel like with the big tech companies, like they've kind of exhausted their valuation to a certain point, right? Like how much larger can Apple really get? That's well, that's what I thought when Apple was, you know, people were saying that when Apple was at one trillion, now they're at two point five trillion or two point <laughs> three trillion. So I, I know what you're saying. It, it's, it, it, but I just, you know, these companies. When I say that I, I'm very, you know, heavily invested in those companies, I, I do have al- my portfolio allocated to those big tech companies. There are other emerging companies that I'm looking at now, um, but it's just I'm so comfortable and so confident in these big tech companies where it's where that's why I put a lot of my money into. But obviously, like. I mean, there's, um, you know, emerging emerging technologies like, uh, you know, uh, uh, internet gambling in the, in the U.S., which is starting to get huge. I'm starting to look look at companies like DraftKings, Penn. That's that's very very uh, a growing space that I that I'm very interested in. So there are companies that I'm looking at, but I'm very very you know I'm 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 very conservative when it comes to like putting some money into there because I because I just want to figure out where exactly it's going to end up. So uh, I'm still kind of feeling it all out. That was cool. Um, you know, you've been covering a lot of like the best IPOs out there. Which would you say are hype and which are legit companies that people should kind of research and learn more about? I, so this, the IPOs are crazy. They're so crazy because we've seen it recently. We're like, not recently, but like over the last three or four months where a company would IPO and the price would just go crazy yeah. um, and it would double basically in that same day. A company that I'm interested in that I wasn't interested in at, at first was is was Airbnb. Airbnb, um, you know, has a lot of hype. It's a company that people are familiar with because people use Airbnb. It's a very very popular company, um, and I, I and I feel like they're in in a good spot to where they can actually be just an an anchor in in the in the in the travel space. I mean, they already are a huge brand, um, and they're already profitable. They're making money, which is awesome. And I, and I like seeing that in a, in a company. So Airbnb is a company that I, that I would recommend people take a second look at. Their valuation is still, is still is pretty high, but you know, it, could be, it could be something that's justified if travel fully re- reopens up, people are getting vaccinated, the economies are starting to come back to life. So Airbnb is definitely a company that is on my radar. Um, and then other companies that I, that I think are a little overhyped, um, DoorDash, which is a, a food delivery company, uh, in the U.S., I'm still not really sure. Um, I, I'm not fully sure if I buy the hype of, of of food delivery companies. I'm not sure if the margins really make sense. I'm still, you know, so I don't, you know, I personally haven't invested anything in DoorDash, um, and, and so I'm still trying to look at those. And then Coinbase is the other one that's so, you know, in the, I was super hyped about Coinbase when they first IPO'd. You know, I think eighty something billion dollar valuation. 
And I'm still going to be watching them very closely. I have invested in Coinbase, but I'm still not sure what their future is going to be like if we ever see a cooling off of crypto. You know, like, are they going to diversify? Are they going to bring on some more institutional investors? What's their play going to be? What's their, what's their moat going to be? Because, I, you know, what's, what's stopping JP Morgan or, or one of the big major banks in America to, you know, open up their own crypto offerings? Um, so I'm really interested to see how that's going to play out with Coinbase. But if they can pull it off and, and, and crypto becomes what everyone hopes it becomes, and Coinbase is going to be like, you know, is, is like the, the cornerstone of that. So something definitely to look into. Yeah, it's um, I because the thing is, like, I've been following Coinbase for a really long time. And I was just kind of like really proud, I guess, of their pro- like process over time. Because I was just like, OK, mm-hmm. like they stuck with it for like more than a decade. And I feel like they kind of really do kind of deserve an IPO. And the interesting thing about um, Coinbase was that they took such a traditional approach to an alternative technology that we really don't see very often in the crypto space. Like if you look at any of the crypto companies out there, they're kind of, they're doing things a different way. Um, It's still very much like wild west type of thing. Um, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But um, yeah, Coinbase, like they they definitely have like done it the right way, um, which I thought was really interesting because it gives that like those investors kind of, I guess like those early investors in crypto just kind of a peace of mind that it's like regulated to some extent. Um, but, you know, what this is, I think, really interesting because it's like I was watching your podcast the other day, like was it no cap all gains? Yep. And- um, you guys talk a lot about like Elon Musk and stuff. And like Elon Musk is somebody who just like dominates like good or bad, the media space. And it got me thinking more and more about like the rise of trolls as a company persona. <laughs> what you know, who who else out there do you think kind of has this this um persona, which is like the ultimate troll? I I, I think it's Elon Musk is the one of one. Like I, there really isn't anyone out there that has the, just the, the personality to pull it off, you know, like, and it's, it's kind of, it's, it's even surprising to see Elon Musk do it. Right. I mean, this guy is like running, he's like the CEO of two multi-billion dollar companies, SpaceX and Tesla. And, and, and he's so in tuned with internet culture. That's what makes him like so good at what he does. Like he's good at trolling. You know, if it was, a, if, a, if another billionaire tried it and they were not, not good at it, it would come off as fake. It wouldn't really come off as, as genuine, the fact that he's good at it and he like feeds into it and he doesn't really give, give, he doesn't really care about the rules. I think that's what makes him and his influence so powerful. And that's why he dominates media. Um, he just, he just says what he just says, what he thinks, even if it's controversial, he says, he posts funny memes and he just, you know, he, he responds to people on Twitter and he's also a CEO of two multi-billion dollar companies who happens to be the second richest man in the world. It's just so fascinating to me how he can pull all this off. Um, the only other person that could potentially do this, or it has somewhat, somewhat uh, the ability to do this, is Mark Cuban. Um, and and you know he he's pretty good at it too. He kind of says that I was how is it how it is, and and he has you know he doesn't post as many memes. Yeah. But man, so, something about Elon Musk, he's just so he's just so fascinating as, as someone. I think it's because we I think I know what it is. We all kind of envision ourselves like if i ever became the the big the big richest man in the world i would do what elon musk does i would just troll people on the internet all day he kind of is living out what a common man's dream and doing what a common man might do i think people relate to that and and that's why people gravitate towards him yeah it's like i think the main thing is just like 
it's just freaking hilarious. Like everything yep. he does is so funny. And like, it kind of makes you see that the world is a bit of a game. Like, you know, you compare somebody like Elon Musk to, I don't know, like other CEOs and they just seem like so stiff, like no personality. And it's just, right. kind of, it's, it's nice to kind of see that change because it makes companies, I guess, more like identifiable, um, more relatable, but uh, yeah. It's good so, marketing too. I mean, it's yeah. great marketing, right? Exactly. Like, like I wonder how big his marketing department is compared to like other, oh, his PR team must be freaking like so <laughs> crazy. They'd just be like, what have you just done? But maybe they love it. Like maybe that's a part of it all. <laughs> I think they love it. I think, I think I've, I've heard that he spends like, they don't have a marketing department. Their marketing department is super small. I mean, they don't need it, right? They just have, he just tweets something and then like it goes mega viral and then everyone talks about Tesla or whatever. And so it's, it's brilliant. And, and you're right. Like if you kind of compare Elon Musk to someone like some of these tech CEOs that we have, like Zuckerberg or or even even Bezos, like they're, they they are stiff. They they aren't. They just seem so out of touch. They seem like different. They just don't seem like relatable. Whereas yeah. Elon Musk seems relatable. And I and I have like some issues with some of the things that Elon Musk promotes and does. But I still can't. I mean, I still think what he does is hilarious. I still like enjoy <laughs> seeing him tweet. I still enjoy his content. And um, yeah, like I think that's what it is. Like he's so. He's a common man's billionaire, if, if, if I were to put it some way. Yeah, I think that's actually probably the best way I've heard it be described. But, um, you know, like we see this like huge rise of like, I'm going to say not financial advice on like TikTok and stuff. <laughs> like, what do you think is the future for financial advisors? Because I feel like so many more people are kind of like learning what they need to know and then like applying it and kind of like taking a lot of that theory into practice when it comes to um like, yeah, I guess like for their personal finances, do you think that this is going to hurt like financial advisors? Do you think that they're going to become irrelevant over time? Yes. Yes. A hundred percent hot take. I think financial advisors is a dying profession um, because honestly, you just don't need them unless you're very wealthy. I honestly don't think that you need a financial advisor. The content that you need to manage your finances is out there. Um, the tools are out there. There's so many tools out there. Even if you're starting, even if you're, you know, upper middle class, there's tools out there to manage your finances, whether it's robo advisors, um, whether it's, um, you know, all these, uh, all these apps now that help you budget or, or, or make sure that you have, you know, everything invested into a Roth IRA or different in retirement uh, accounts. I think financial advisors are, are definitely uh, on the way out because of all these tools that we have now, unless you're very, very wealthy. And then there's, you know, obviously advantages of having a financial advisor, but if you're not at the upper, you know, upper top 1%, I really don't see any reason to have a financial advisor unless you have like, you know, you want the discipline, you know, you want someone to like get discipline, you kind of look over your shoulder. But even then there's, there's tools out there that can like help you, you know, set you up with a, with a mentor or, or a group um, that can, you know, help you stay motivated to make sure that you're investing the right way or you're, you're saving for retirement the right way and you're managing your finances the right way. There's so many tools out there. So yeah, I, that's what I think. Yeah. I, I just want to add to that. It's like, I feel as though like this like new wave of not financial advice on TikTok and like other social media platforms, it, it gives people like an idea about who they can be as well. Because it's like, I feel like whenever like the old kind of identity of uh, personal finance and people having like their stuff together is so much of like this like person in a suit and tie and it's just very not relatable to like every single right. person out there. But like now we have more people being like, like we have... Um, that guy that did uh, GameStop, like he's got a freaking cat meme at the back of his. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Roaring kitties. Stuff like that. Yes, yeah, Keith exactly. Gill. Yeah, it's like, 
I just feel like the more people out there that are showing how it can be done, the more we're going to get more and more people involved. Um, but, you know, like what's what's next for you in 2021? I know that you just started your own podcast. Like what what else is what should people be expecting from you? Well, so I'm still, you know, I still have a full time job. Funny enough, I'm actually a civil engineer, which is what my full time job is. But I'm doing this on the, the content stuff on the side, enjoying it. Um, so as far as the, the rest of 2021, my goal is to, to eventually transition into being a, becoming a full-time content creator where I'm talking about business finance all the time, which is, you know, and, and make, make it my full-time job. Um, yeah, we also launched a podcast with, with my friend, uh, Gannon. He's, he's awesome on Twitter. He's, he's, he's amazing. Uh, we linked up and we kind of have like similar takes and similar outlooks on, on how we, how we consume business news. And like, we try to make it funny. And, and so we, we just crack some jokes on our podcast and, and just kind of like riff on some topics. So we launched that recently. It's been going really good. having a lot of fun doing that. So please check that out. No cap, all gains. Um, and, and yeah, for me, I definitely want to diversify all the distribution channels that I'm on. So primarily my focus has been on TikTok over the last 18 months. And I love TikTok. It's still going to be my number one channel, number one, number one distribution platform. But I'm also trying to focus more on longer form content on, you know, YouTube. YouTube is like the holy grail for any content creator. So I'm starting to form more, you know, create more content for YouTube, uh, kind of diving into more subjects a little bit more deeply than what you can cover in 60 seconds on TikTok, right? 60 seconds isn't going to be much time to go super deep on some subjects. So I'll be doing more YouTube um, throughout the year and, and yeah, just trying to figure out what else is out there. Like I said, I, I love this space. I love talking about this stuff, talking to people like yourself. Like I just love everything that's happening um, in, in finance, in tech, in, in, in business. And I want to, I want to be wherever, wherever the conversation is happening. Yeah, I honestly, I'm not going to be very surprised if like by the end of this year, if not sooner, you're not going to be a civil engineer anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. I, that's the goal, at least. Yeah. But um, so what's the best way for people to reach you? The best way um, on all the social platforms. So at Admani underscore explains on TikTok. Um, if you want to if you want to get in touch with me, uh, shoot me an email at Admani explains at gmail.com. And then you can find me on Instagram. I'm starting to grow my Instagram as well um, at Admani Explains. I post a lot of like, you know, random updates throughout the day on my Instagram stories. Um, and then YouTube, please subscribe to my YouTube at Admani Explains. You'll be seeing more longer form content on there. Just be you know, diving into some more subjects, a little bit more in depth and also cracking some jokes, making things funny and kind of keeping things lighthearted as much as I can. Yeah, that's really important. Okay, well, thank you so much for coming on Prosper Podcast. Totally, I really enjoy the conversation. Thanks for having me, Maxine. Add it up.